1: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Richard Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on VFM. As usual, we'll be in three parts today. We've got some local news, some global news, and a car review. And as ever, I'm joined by my mates over there on the phone lines, Arif Ruz, the man with the news. Hello, Arif. Hello, Richard. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. And of course,
0: Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Hello, Daniel. Good evening, Richard and Arif and uh, listeners. Thank you for listening in. I know it's been a rather cloudy day. I mean, in my part of the world, it's been very cloudy all day. I hope it's been the same for you.
1: I thought you were talking about cloudy day. I thought you'd been watching a little bit of Parliament there, Daniel.
0: Well, that was earlier part of the day. Then the clouds came and then the clouds went home.
1: There we go. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Of course, if you want to get in touch with the show, follow us over on Instagram. You can do that by following us at... BFM Cruise Control. It's like your mind reader, Arif Roos. Okay, uh, kick us off then. What have we got in terms of local news today?
2: In terms of general news, there isn't quite a lot. And for local news, uh, there was only one car that was launched in this past week, I believe. A a, a whole one? A whole one in these strange times. Um, And that car was a Proton. Proton X70 SE. SE denotes a limited edition version where only 2,000 of these special Proton X70s will be made. And it costs about 124,000 ringgit. The thing is, the limited edition parts of this car is just worth about 4,000 ringgit over the second most expensive X70. So what Proton did was take the second most expensive Proton X70 and then gave it black finishes on roofs, door mirrors, spoiler, gave it two new coats of paint, which is either ocean blue or ruby red, and 19-inch sport rims, which is quite big for a car like this, I think, Mm. and uh, black Napa leather seats. And you also get...
0: Se branded floor mats. So, ooh. my my only worry about this car is this. Number one, at the moment, before they launch this car, if if you go onto the various X seventy Facebook pages, you have people who have booked the cars three, four months ago. Not this car, the normal Proton X seventy Premium. Yeah, and they still have not got delivery of their car. And here comes a special edition, which they're saying got immediate delivery. So I'm a little bit confused. So you made the special edition on a different platform or different line than the normal premium X70? It doesn't make sense, right? I don't know. They probably took some existing stock and then just... (laughs) And the thing is, you see, this version, the SE, doesn't have a sunroof, which a lot of Malaysians who buy a premium Proton want. And then also you got those nice alloy wheels which are actually Geely Boyu rims. Yep. So, does this car come directly from China? Good point. China doesn't make right-hand drive cars, do they? We don't know. We've not been to the factory in the last one year. They might have been making some special edition cars, right-hand drive to go to other parts of the world. Maybe Pakistan, maybe India, maybe Bangladesh, where they've opened up right-hand drive market for Proton and Boyu.
2: Yeah, that's thing I have with this X70 SE, or rather most limited edition cars these days, it's just essentially new paint, new wheels, some leather, a body kit, and that's about it. Oh, you forgot, you forgot, very important, the SE edition flow mat. The SE the format, so like, usually limited edition cars are supposed to be, you know, kind
1: of bespoke, parts, bins, specials. Hang on a minute, w- wasn't the, the last special edition Proton, didn't it just have like yellow, yellow rearview mirrors? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was right. what, 3,000 ringgit more expensive? Yeah.
0: Yeah, paint costs money. <laughs> 3,000 ringgit more? Yes. But anyway, this is, I, I, I think I'm, I'm a little bit suspect of this vehicle, this particular model, because if you can't deliver cars that were ordered three, four months ago, how can you deliver this latest version? That's all. I've just got that question to ask.
1: That's a good question to ask, though.
2: Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think we should say something positive about it, though. Go on, then. Um, the blue is nice. Ooh, yeah, it is. It's very and I striking.
0: Like, very striking. I, I
1: like the name of the red. Ruby red. Yeah.
0: Yes. And I like that SE flow mats. Uh, to be fair, the wheels are not bad. It's a nice car. I mean, yeah, (laughs) those wheels would be good for car wash guys because we won't be able to wash them there. (laughs) You know, with a little,
2: Ah. you know, the other day I was washing my wheels and uh,
0: like kept punching the brake calibers and it's and it really hurts. So, you actually wash your own car. Yeah! Wow, I thought rich people like you don't wash your own car. I'm I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. <laughs>
1: oh, Funny, wow. you should
0: say that because I walked
1: out the other night and my 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 girlfriend was washing the car outside in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Just needed something to do.
0: I, I really don't want to say anything there.
1: <laughs> Just needed something to do. Okay, you know? okay. <clears throat> we should probably move on, being as there's not an awful lot to say about that, right?
0: Yep, yep.
2: We do have some, uh, I guess, a little bit of news. It's more grim news due to the MCO and the lockdowns and how it's affecting the auto industry. So I think this topic, we touch on it uh, almost every week. And, you know, talking about dealerships and car plants closing, the butterfly effect that this MCO is causing in the automotive supply chain. Detailers can't even get work because of that. Used car dealers can't sell cars, essentially. But uh, mm. even though repair shops are allowed to open, hardly anybody drives anywhere these days. And I don't know about you guys. I've only seen my mechanic once <laughs> this year. And that worries me.
0: But the thing is, even if mechanics can open, there's, there's also the issue of spare parts. I mean, older mm. car spare parts, not an issue because they're already in the country. Mm. Yep. But if you're driving something recent, which we three don't drive, and you know you had a little bit of an accident, a fender bender, or you know just something failed, there might not be a spare part for you because some of the spare parts have not come in. They need to be brought over. Yeah, so there's a lot of issues, a lot of chain reaction. Uh, you know, even, even parts coming in from overseas, the ships can't unload because the ports are filled because the ports mm. can't deliver the parts to the relevant uh, warehouses or, or showrooms. Mm. So it's a, it's a domino effect.
2: It's, it's looking quite grim, especially because uh, recently, Dr. Asha Ahmad, president of the uh, Malaysian Automotive Association, said that if this MCO goes on any longer, many businesses will have to say goodbye to the industry because they literally cannot survive any longer. Yes. She even reported a 90% decrease in car sales compared to last year, right. where last year we sold about forty to 45,000 cars. Now we've only sold about 2,000 cars in June 2021. Mm. And even then... Those cars that we sold last month were spillovers from the previous month in May, before the MCO. So it's not looking that great, even though um, we started to see quite a bit of, uh, what do you call it, revenge buying yeah,
1: throughout the year, throughout this year. The problem is, Arif, you know... Uh- one of the shows that I do, Biz Bytes, every day, we're speaking with smaller businesses, MSMEs, SMEs. It's, it's not just the, the auto industry. It's every industry right now. You know, they're talking about closures. Hotels are having problems. The school canteen workers, 30% of them have you know, decided to close down because a lot of them are contract workers as well. Hairdressers, gyms, nail apartments, masseuses, everywhere you look, every industry is really, really struggling right now. It's not good news anyway. And I guess
2: the fact that we're looking at Parliament to distract us from the reality that is on the ground, that's mm. kind of saying something, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So
0: in the last few months, a lot of uh, social media chatter about, you know, dealerships closing and how salespeople are suffering and everything else. But, you know, when you hear of a really big established business like the one which I mentioned in my article uh, mm-hmm. They've been around for twenty years. When a car dealership that's been around for twenty years decides to, you know, say, "Hey, I'm going to take a step back," this shows how serious the, the economy is. Because, yes, you, whoever it is, they've made money over years. With any car dealership, yeah. but every dealership has to reinvest in, you know, uh, CIs, workshop upgrades, uh, look and feel, you know, uh, equipment and everything else. Now, all this is constant investment. Even though, yes, they're still making money, but when you go month after month with much reduced sales, you know, like you said, you're not going and seeing a mechanic. So these cars are not getting service. So service, you don't make any money. All your avenues for making money has reduced. What do you do? You you are forced to walk away from the business. Now, when you walk away from the business, yes, someone else has come to take over. But will that person be able to succeed or last another few months? It's very hard to say, you know.
1: Mm, it's the fear.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: Anyway, anyway. Yes, yes. anyway. Um well, let, let, let's should we have a happy topic? or oh, wait, no.
2: I don't know how happy Daniel is gonna be when he talks about this because he brought us a conversation about uh Malaysian number plates and despite what we see out on the roads with the many different uh fonts and spacings, and some of some of these number plates even light up. JPJ does apparently have some pretty specific guidelines on number plates. Like I said, the font, the spacing, the dimensions, the styles. But uh, there seems to be some lack of enforcement.
0: (laughs) You know, the reason why we brought this up was because we were seeing how recently there were some roadblocks. Uh, Friends of ours on Facebook were complaining how they got stopped and they were fined for having fancy number plates. Now, when I saw the pictures of their number plates, okay, yes, they were not following JPJ guideline. But Mm. a couple of them were actually driving relatively new cars, which came out of the showroom with those number plates. Yeah. So if the showroom has given you that number plates, and if they have not, say, followed 100%, it wasn't fancy, it was just maybe the font type or size was slightly different. I think it should be the fault of the dealership and and the salespeople. And and these are not reconditioned cars or used cars. These are brand new cars. Uh. Now, another friend got stopped, not because of font and size, but because his number plate was a sticker. Oh, yes. Yes. So they said, oh, sticker not allowed. Again, there was another issue. And then he got fined and he went on the JPGA website and he checked and said he had followed the guidelines, but it was a sticker. So again, you know, all these kind of issues, you want to stop people at a roadblock and give them summons, fine and all that. But maybe you should start thinking about standardizing this across the country, like how they do in Singapore. In Australia, in New Zealand, in the UK, in most parts of Europe and Japan and all where, you don't get your number plates from a shop. You get your number plates from the government itself, you know, the, the transport authority mm. or the authorized agents. And when you get your number plate, you get it together with your road tax. Yep. So that means your, your road tax is valid and your number plate is valid. And you get a certain fixed size and then you go home and fix it yourself or you can get a shop to fix it for you, but you get your number plate done by the government contractor as such, you know? Yeah. So there's no sort of, you know, third party sitting in a shop waiting for you to come and design one cursive number plate or, you know, numbers set apart from words and, you know, trying to make some some name and all that kind of things. That means you don't have to worry about roadblocks. You don't have to worry about stopping people. You don't have to worry about arguing with people in the middle of the road whether your number plate is right or wrong. Yeah, peace of mind. Yes. If you we, if we do this from the start, this should have been done a long time ago, but they always talk about it, but no one is actually pushing for it. And our automotive agency is more interested in talking about cosmetics and COVID testing and everything else, when they're not even addressing something as simple as this, which is something to do with the automotive industry.
1: Yep. So the JPJ, there is a standard then. There is a standardized there is, there size is. and spacing, is yes. there?
0: It's been there for
2: years. Right. So how do people get away with this? It's just the fact that it isn't regulated or enforced at all, I guess.
0: Well, like I said, if, if it's something which comes from a third-party shop along some street, which you have plenty in, in the cities or even in small towns, you can do it as you want until you get stopped by a roadblock. Yeah, yeah. And, it might, and it's normally a, a JPT roadblock because the police have no time to do this. They've got other better things to do, you see. Mm. So mm-hmm. And then if they stop you and they find you and then you go to a shop you're again going to do a num- number plate. Now, whether they do it correctly or not, do you really know? You can follow the guidelines done by JPJ. Yep. But whether the, the dealer is going to give you a number plate, and then you have to go and break it and buy another one again if it's wrong. You know, all this is wasted money, wasted cost, and then there's more plastic being thrown into the bin. Do you know what I mean? Yep.
2: I remember there was a, there was a, a small conversation going on online about the fact that we changed our number plates from metal to plastic, stamp metal to plastic, yes, and how yes. it leaves it so open to abuse because when you stamp metal, you have to provide the mould and yes, everything,
0: mm, right? Yes, mm. yes. Do you know there's some shops that can actually do the stamp metal one for you? Really? Oh, wow. yeah. Okay, you go in there, you give your number plate, they can't do it immediately, so you have to pay the money. They'll get it done maybe three or four or five days because the machine takes time to do it. Mm. But you see, the thing is now, no, most people don't do that because, why? Right, you can't do fancy number plates with stamp metal. Mm, Now, I prefer the stem metal because if you have a slight fender bender, it doesn't get damaged, it doesn't get cracked, it doesn't fall off, you know, things like Mm. that. It's reusable, it doesn't fade. You know, like a lot of the plastic ones, they fade after some time because of the sun.
2: They turn yellow. Yes. I do totally agree with the fact that, you know, it should be issued by like a central government authority or something. And the fact that it gets sent to us and that we put it on because oh, right. it's not hard to
0: put on a number plate. It's literally just double-sided tape and stick it on. Yeah. And- well, if you really cannot do it, you can still go to a mechanic or you know get a friend or dad or brother or sister or whatever to do it. That's not the big issue. The big issue is this thing should not come from a third-party shop along the street. It should come from a government body or a government agent. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Just like what they do in all, all the developed countries in the world. But you know, obviously, we are not developed yet.
2: So, uh, I guess one of the questions that we will have this week is um, I mean, obviously, we should standardize it, right? There is no question about it. But is it that urgent of a matter right now?
0: Why not? Why not? I think, Arif, you should go and lobby for this project, get this project, and be that government agent. Then, be rich, can vote for yes. you. Yes, yes,
2: yes. I can be
1: rich.
0: Yes. <laughs> You know, I
1: actually expected this discussion to be a bit more heated than it actually was. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I expected Daniel to have a bit of a bee in his bonnet about this. But, no, because you know. it's,
0: been, it's been so nice and cloudy all day.
1: Oh, you're chilled, are you?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Ah. But, okay, so um, I've seen all kinds of different, just before we wrap up, I've seen all kinds of different license plates here, you know. Uh, whether or not it's your Patriot license plate or uh, which even I don't know what Patriot means or, or um, the I'm for you license plates that I've seen I remember those being around a few years ago you remember those?
0: Actually actually, Richard you see Patriot I'm for you and then you know like this you can see some you, 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 and all this these are special edition number plates which for example I'll tell you this BFM as a radio station they can go and ask for special number plates which the government allow them to sell like a lot of universities do it. A lot of the UU number plates are UIM and all that. These are all from the universities.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yes, And, and this is how they make money back for their alumni or you know, collection or donation or whatever. And the government allows it. So Patriot is what then? Patriot is someone went and applied for it and got it and they sold uh, 999 numbers. You know? Oh really? Yes. So BFM, of course you can't do BFM because BFM is already running. It's a slang mm-hmm. number plate. Mm. But you know you can put like radio, you know, rad ten, ah, rad ten, whatever. You can do something like that. But the thing is now we are talking about font size and type. And that's
1: what I meant because the the, the ones that I've seen that have had Patriot on them right. have been a very different font to the ones that I've seen. Yes. you know. For, ah,
0: and okay. generally they're they're smaller and they're and they're and a little bit a little bit cursive, a little bit yes.
1: But yeah, kind of italic, right? Yes, as Well, yes.
0: all right, okay.
1: Just thank you for clearing that up. I always
0: wondered about mm-hmm. that.
1: You see, I thought it might have been somebody who was like ex-military or something like that.
0: No, no, no. no.
1: Okay, we should probably take a break then, eh? Right. Right, let's have a quick break here, folks. Uh, You are, of course, tuned into Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. Don't go anywhere when we come back. Some global news, uh, something about a Ford Skyline and a bit of Mercedes-Benz. That's all coming up after these messages here on BFM 89.9.
0: Because freedom matters, BFM 89.9
1: BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, this is Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. I've got Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my on the line. Hi Daniel. Hello guys, hello listeners. And of course, Mr. Arif Ruse, the man with the news, also on the other line. Hello, everybody. Now, um, we've just been speaking a little bit about car number plates and the Proton X70 SE with the special uh, floor mats, of course. Uh, now, uh, what's all this uh, gossip about the Ford Skyline? So, uh, this is kind
2: of a sacrilege because Ford in the U.S. have trademarked the name late Skyline. So, the Skyline is now a Ford, at least in the U.S.,
0: even though it's been a Nissan for the past 70-odd years. <laughs> you know, for Ford to do it, I think they're just trying to prove a point. I don't think they're going to use the name. But for Nissan to forget to trademark the name in U.S., that's a big mistake. Yes. Ever I, so mean, right. I mean, come on, someone, someone in Japan has just lost his job or maybe because he's retired, he can laugh about it at home while eating his noodles.
1: And but- you know that guy in America who was going into the trademark office that day was like, Are you sure they've not trademarked it? Are you sure? Are you sure? (laughs) Can
2: you double check? Maybe your your system is wrong, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't think Nissan actually cares in the US. Okay. okay. Because, you know, the Skyline nameplate never existed in the US at all. Mm. True. Mm. True. These Skylines that are there right now are all JDM imports, right-hand drive models. I mean, even in fact, the Skyline is still mostly a nameplate that's currently used in Japan, right? Yes. Elsewhere, the Skyline currently is being called an Infinity Q70 or Q50, something like that, or previously a G35. Actually, it's an Infinity Q50. But um, I just want to talk a little bit about the Skyline nameplate because... Uh, it has changed quite a lot. As mentioned, it's been around for the past 70 years. Since the 1960s, it began as a pretty cool-looking Japanese sedan. They had a coupe version as well. Right. And then in the 90s it really took off with the Skyline GTR that people mm-hmm. know as Godzilla. And uh, obviously it became the poster boy for the PlayStation game Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody knows the GTR these days as well. Uh, and of course Fast and Furious. But uh, in the mid 2000s, the reason why Ford feels like they can trademark this name right now, is because around the world, outside Japan, the Skyline name doesn't really exist. The mid-2000s, Nissan decided that the Godzilla car, the one that you could tune up to whatever millions of horsepower, would only be known as the GTR, whereas the Skyline name was to become kind of a mid-level manager's company car. It had four doors, heated leather seats, and a very uh, conservative design. Uh, it's kind of like two different alternate realities. <laughs> on the one hand, you have the Godzilla GTR, and on the other, you have kind of this stately, boring saloon. <laughs> it was reported that apparently, when they made this change, the Skyline was initially targeted towards males over the age of 40. And it was sold in Japan not really as Nissan's, they wore the Nissan badge, but they were marketed to these over 40 males
1: as the skyline. You're, you're talking this, and when you're talking about it over 40, <laughs> you are treading on eggshells. I can hear it in your yeah, voice. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, but Richard, you must understand the reason why you keep saying that, because a car like this, only over 40 can afford, you know. You know? This is true. Uh, oh, but then
1: again, true. we're talking about Arif. Come on.
0: That's true also. That's true. And then he washes his own car. That's the other shocking thing.
1: I don't even know what you guys think of me anymore. But <laughs> We love you, Arif. We love
2: you. <laughs> Come on. But essentially, the colour name is living on. It's not dead. It's just contemplating its existence. It's trying to figure out what it wants to be. Sort of like when Mitsubishi announced that the next Evo was going to be an SUV. Um, so... Ford definitely had the right to do that. And Nissan, I feel, doesn't care because it really doesn't care about branding the name Skyline in the US. The thing is, lots of people were were trying to find out, like, you know, what's Ford going to do with the Skyline name? Mm. And uh, Road & Track, one of the most famous automotive magazines in the world, uh, they reached out to Ford and Ford replied that, these trademark applications are intended to protect new phrases, designs or symbols but aren't necessarily an indication of new business or product plans. So I guess what they're saying is that Skyline could be used as a series of cars, a trim line, a powertrain, gearbox or even you know, a year-long marketing campaign.
0: I think honestly what happened with Ford is you know, someone is sitting there and saying, listen, we've got nothing to do, we're not developing any new cars, nothing is happening, we're all you know, quite bored here. Let's find something to do. Then someone put their hand up and said, hey, do you know that the Skyline name is not trademarked in the US? Okay, okay, get on it. That's your job for the next three days. Yeah,
1: but it's also a preventative measure, right? I mean, if if you look at it like, um, for example, there was a guy, I I think he was in Argentina or something. He noticed that www.google.arg or whatever it is for Argentina hadn't been trademarked or nobody was sat on that kind of domain. So he registered that domain under his name. Very quickly, of course. And then Google had to come in and say, hey, you know, uh, we're Google, give it us back. But in some ways, Ford could be just sat on it knowing that at some point, Nissan might want to release something in the US with the Skyline name. And now they can't ever, Mm. possibly.
0: But anyway, Nissan is not growing that fast because even like the current Skyline, the sedan, which is the Q50 based on the Infiniti Q50, they've not improvised on it in so many years. They're not even talking about a new model coming out. So I think they're trying to sort out their own internal problems in terms of funding and product mm. development. Yeah,
1: But if you are a lawyer and you are listening and you're into copyright and IP and trademarking, please do correct me if I'm wrong. Let's move on then, shall we? Yeah. So
2: Mercedes-Benz, about a week ago, they decided to present their new strategy uh, for the next decade. They did This last year, they practically lots of car companies have been doing this recently just to try and show off their plans for electrification, where they're going to go with AI and all of those things. But uh, Mercedes last week, they announced essentially that they will ditch the internal combustion engine and go fully electric from 2025. So meaning if they could, they will only sell you electric cars. And uh, obviously... Um, this was quite a big thing until they said, "quote unquote," wherever possible. So a lot of automotive journalists just went, "This doesn't mean anything."
0: <laughs> yeah, whatever lah. Yeah, but but the the other thing is also they they also said as as they went along in the presentation that they have stopped all R and D on petrol engines so that means if they do come up with any petrol engines after 2025 onwards for say third world market like malaysia it will be old technology engines it, there will be nothing new because they're not putting any more money into petrol engines all their r&d is purely for battery electric
2: so this does mean that we'll be seeing the last of the new mercedes engines in these coming few years
0: right. and and the thing is even for electric cars even amg cars are going to be electric
2: yeah even the most recent uh, amg cars that's coming out next year they are going to be smaller engines and highly electrified but anyway there's the strategy that they did spell out the strategy and uh, as mentioned they want to f- offer electric cars only if they can from 2025 mm. in the right market conditions and in 2022 we should be looking forward to their new eqe and eqs suvs the big big suvs there'll be a maybach version of that coming and I think you might find this interesting, Richard, Hmm. a G-Wagon, but electric. Oh, I'm not sure how that will work because it's got to go, you know, deep underwater and all that stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're saying that electric cars today, like Tesla showed uh, some of their cars fording through floods without any issue. Power units are all uh, encased in a waterproof compartment. So they say there's no issue.
2: But it's like, you know, when your phone company tells you that that your phone is like IP7 waterproof, and you can throw it in the water,
0: but you still aren't, you know. Yeah, that that happened to my son with his brand new phone.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. He went underwater
0: to take some pictures and poop, next day, phone not working. Um,
2: Anyway, Mercedes-Benz says that they are going to spend over €40 billion to build eight new gigafactories around the world until 2030. And they're going to introduce three new dedicated EV platforms from 2025, as mentioned. Uh, it's called the MB.EA. There's a platform for medium to large vehicles like the Mercedes GLC to the S-Class. Mm-hmm. They're going to have an AMG.EA, which are performance-oriented vehicles. And they pointed out recently that they acquired the company who supplied the electric motor for the hypercar, Koenigsegg Rigera. So that's huge, huge news for Mercedes fans and Mercedes AMG fans as well. And they haven't forgotten about uh, commercial uh, vans as well because they've introduced a whole new platform for that called the van.ea. The other thing that they've mentioned was that uh, to make sure that people can continue to use their Mercedes-Benz electric cars wherever they can sell them uh, is uh, by investing into the charging network. You know, we talk a lot about electric cars and how governments are going to put up all these charging points so quickly. And who's going to take charge of it? This time, it seems like Mercedes are saying that we are going to take the initiative to move everybody forward and partner up with local governments and local charging infrastructure suppliers like ChargePoint in the US or Charge EV here, I think. And Shell, who have been pushing some sort of recharge network around the world as well. So this really, to me, signifies the way that we charge and refuel and, and make transactions about keeping our cars running, if, it, if that makes sense.
1: Mm. Is there going to be uh, – have we adopted a universal car charger yet? Though Not yet, not yet. That's, that's the
0: problem, right? And the thing is also, you see, a lot of people talk about car charging, car charging. I, I know the word they use is car charging, but no one is talking about commercial vehicles, trucks, vans, bulldozers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. prime movers. I mean, these things – if they're running on electricity, they need some big power output, you know?
1: I mean, and that's what I kind of wanted to rewind to the beginning of this story, as well, where they're saying that everything that they release from moving forward is going to be all electric. Does that include their commercial vehicles as well?
0: Yes, including the commercial vehicles, which starts with the light commercial vans. They do very well in Europe. They do very well in the US, but not this part of the world. But, of course, they have partnerships with other commercial vehicle providers, and they're going to be sharing this platform. You know, like with Renault and all that, they got, they got partnerships. Mm. So you're going to have a lot of these things coming out. And the thing is that no one is talking about how this part of the – you know, like, say, for example, delivery vans. Mm. Everybody is going into online shopping and delivery, so the, the, there'll be a boom in this, and you want it all to be electric. And what about the, the, the trucks as well, Daniel? Exactly. Scania, Volvo, Mercedes, Actros. they all are going into either hydrogen power or electric power. But again, mm. charging – Yeah. In
2: fact, think in the past week, Hyundai revealed their brand new hydrogen truck, which had already done one million European kilometers. Mm. So that's uh, that's some really positive stuff. And like you mentioned, you know, um, commercial vehicles and Mercedes Benz also in in mainland Europe at least, Mercedes Benz commercial vehicles are pretty, you know, they've got scale. <laughs> yes. yes, a lot. So, you know, we might be digging too far into it, but for them to announce something like this, to go fully electric from twenty twenty five wherever they can, it's quite positive news. That's confidence. Yeah,
0: and also if our listeners can go back and actually download uh, or check on YouTube, the whole presentation is there. They bought into companies that are involved in battery technology, motor technology, and everything else. Because why? They want to have control of all the main functions of an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. At least they don't want to be reliant on a third party who might suddenly change the contract and supply to someone else they want to own it you know mm. Yeah. so this also means they're going into it very seriously but then they did not mention anything about owning charging stations or charging technology
1: mm. Which is smart, because that's the one thing you need to leave open to bigger partnerships, I'd imagine.
0: Yes, and also that thing doesn't make money immediately because you sell the car first, you sell the truck first, you don't sell the charging station. <laughs> very
1: interesting,
2: Mr. Bond, very yes,
0: interesting. Yes. And you heard it here first.
2: <laughs> just a note about those light commercial vehicles and you know local deliveries that Daniel mentioned just now. If, I believe I saw on your website recently, Daniel, that, and I think it should be mentioned that uh, Mitsubishi and somebody else are looking into all-electric Commercial vehicles, yes. Commercial vehicles in Thailand. So,
0: Mitsubishi, Daihatsu, and Suzuki, they're trying to do a collaboration for small delivery events, which is exactly what ASEAN needs. And when I say ASEAN, I'm talking about Vietnam, Indonesia. You know, in Vietnam now, there's a huge logistic problem because people are shopping online like crazy and the population there is growing. Mm. Uh, Indonesia's got the same issue. And, you know, you want to have electric powered delivery vans because most of them are just inner city moving around you know yep and the next stage should be for all this uh, ride hailing um, uh, riders and also food delivery because they need to go electric also
2: point of investment for malaysia food for thought you might say
0: so you heard it here first get involved in a charging network that makes you money
1: All right. Um, That's where we're going to leave this segment, of course. But we are sticking with Mercedes when we come back. We have a used car review. It's a 2015 Mercedes-Benz A250 Sport. Mm, Right. All exciting stuff. You tune in to Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM 89.9, the business station.
0: Bombing frustrated minds, BFM. 89.9.
1: BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. I'm Rich Bradbury on the phone line with Arif Ruse, the man with the news, and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my Say hello, fellas.
0: Hello. Hello, and good evening, everybody.
1: Just a few minutes ago, we were looking at Mercedes as a glimpse into the future. Right now, on our car review, we're looking a little bit into the past with the Mercedes A250 AMG used car guide of 2015. Daniel.
0: Well, you know, a few weeks ago, we did this Volkswagen Golf GTI used car review. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, number of people were actually. Uh, you know, emailing me on a DSF and saying, thank you, very informative. Actually, we were looking at this vehicle because this is a hot topic. A lot of people now, you know, if they, if they have a little bit of extra money, the prices of these hot hatches are coming down and they and they got very interested. But a few of them also said, hey, what if we were not looking for this particular model, something else, a hot hatch, stylish, but, you know, price range around the same. Now, the thing is, around that same price range, you can get... Quite a number of vehicles, but I thought to myself, I'll go a little bit up the market, just a little bit up, and I looked at the the, the previous Mercedes A-Class. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, why I looked at this A-Class because I still I still think that this is a good-looking A-Class, even though it's almost you know nine years old. I think it still looks very interesting. I don't like it. You don't like it? No, no. <laughs> oh, say what you want, Richard. Uh, well, it's okay. I don't mind it. Okay, I, I think it's still quite attractive. It was launched in 2012. At that time, there was a huge movement that says, "Wow, finally, Mercedes has got a stylish hot hatch." Because the previous A classes were all little dumpy, a little boring. They were, you know, literally poor man's uh, transportation in Europe. You know, as much as people wanted to say. But now mm. comes a real stylish, you know, twin exhaust. Powerful engines, and then you know they had the A forty five version. Of course, they had the lower versions, but we we went somewhere in between, which is the A two fifty AMG. Now, this particular version um, was sold in Malaysia at a price of two hundred and thirty eight 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 eight. This was in twenty thirteen when it was launched. Mm-hmm. So at that time, the direct competitors, which is the BMW one series, was slightly slightly more expensive. The um, Volvo V forty was much cheaper. But of course, because the Volvo V40 was not the most popular in that segment, uh, but still a very compatible car. And then, of course, you had the Golf GTI, which is uh, slightly cheaper. But Mercedes could always command a little bit of a premium simply because, you know, three-pointed star, branding, Mercedes-Benz, And this A250 sold like hot cakes. I mean, really, they sold a lot of these cars. There are a lot out there on the road. You don't really notice them until you say, hey, I'm looking out for an A250. And suddenly, they're everywhere. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) After two or three years of Mercedes-Benz Malaysia selling these cars, the grey importers started bringing them in by the boatload. And even till today, you go to a lot of grey imports, Of course... They're all closed right now. But if you drive past, you'll see at least one or two units or maybe even up to 10 units sitting in some yards ready for sale. And this is how popular it was even overseas because these are all used cars coming in from Japan and UK. So the mm. market for the A250 or the A-class, very popular. Now, in Malaysia, when a couple of people wrote to me about it, I said, okay, I'll do a bit of research. And again, only when you do research, you realize how many there are. There, there were hundreds of for sale use hundreds literally and i'm talking just about the a250 i'm not talking about the a160 i'm not talking about the a200 i'm not talking about a45 i'm talking just the a250 i would say is the, the the middle child version you know yeah so this car comes with a 218 uh, brake horsepower engine 350 newton meters which means it's very powerful the torque comes in at a low 1200 so if you drive it it is very powerful the golf gti is more powerful but it can easily keep up with the Golf GTI, and I think in the top end it's slightly better. But doesn't yeah. matter. We're not here in a in a game to see who is more powerful. End of the day, this was a very powerful car. It was a compact car, and when you get into the A250, what I like about the A250 is the aircon vents. I know it's silly, but it's the aircon vents. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, it looks like circular little yeah, jet yeah. engine uh-huh. with a little red trim around it. And you know, the thing is, when you look at the competition at that time which is the Volvo and the 1 Series BMW. They were all, you know, dark grey, black, <laughs> you know, a little bit, you know, hell yeah, hell yeah, all that. You know.
2: I knew it. The only thing you fixated on was the fact that the vents were red.
0: <laughs> exactly. We are like little birds, you know. We see something colourful, we get so excited. Woo, you know? And then you got that whole carbon fibre feel trim on the, on the whole dash. Yeah. Of course, it's not real carbon fibre, but the way they presented it, it was very stylish, you know? Yeah, And then you get into the seats. The seats come with an integrated headrest. It looks like a racing seat. It doesn't look like a typical car seat. Mm. And then you get into the seat. You look at all these little sporty touches and finishes. And you say, hey, this is quite a nice looking car, you know? You know, I'm in a bit of a sporty little car, you know? And it's got a nice view out. But of course, the greenhouse is a bit small. The car is very small on the inside for its size. The, the Golf GTI is bigger. The BMW 1 series and Volvo V40 is slightly bigger. Someone like Richard with his height might find his head will be hitting the roof, you know, the, the, the inner lining. Yeah. You know, so that could be an issue. But end of the day, it's a sporty little car. Now, here comes some little negative points about this vehicle. Number one, the rear seats are small. Even yep. with my small size, I'm sitting in front. Richard can't sit at the back. No way, Richard. I'm sorry. I can't take you as a rear passenger. Okay? (laughs) Now, if Arif is driving and he's about my height and I sit at the back, I can still get in, but my knees will be touching the back of the seat. So i left tap Arif and say, hey, push the seat forward a bit. Then you got the boot. The boot is tiny. This is not a car for you to take the family of five for a nine-day holiday around Malaysia. No. This is a car for a couple with maybe one kid at most or maybe two toddlers to go on a weekend break. It's not a big boot. It's not very deep and because the whole dimensions of the car, it's not a very big car. So you got this A-class, nice compact little hot hatch. I, I wouldn't say the word hot hatch, but let's keep it anyway. The but then some people will say, hey, you know, I've always thought Mercedes Benz would be a bit more luxurious. Because why? As you touch and feel around the car, you realize there's a lot of hard plastic. And that's because this is not an E-class. This is mm. not an S class. This is not a high-end premium class Mercedes Benz. Okay, this car was designed in Europe. It was designed for the middle class or maybe, you know, lower middle class to get into the world of Mercedes-Benz. So he doesn't have a lot of soft touches. Yes, you have leather, you have nice vinyl feel on the roof lining and all that. But it's not a premium Mercedes-Benz.
2: I guess it was a car for uh, people to move up from there. In the UK, it would have been a Ford Fiesta. You yeah. got your first yeah. job, yeah. Uh, your, Vauxhall,
0: your first promotion, your Opel or whatever, you know. Or maybe you had a Japanese car and you want to move off to a European car, you know.
1: Yep. I'm, I'm curious so Arif, you know, your immediate reaction was, no, I don't like it. Your immediate reaction. Why why was that?
0: Because it's not a BMW. La.
1: No. Beca- <laughs> well, yes, but no. <laughs> because I
2: really don't like the way it looks. I really never liked the interior of this A-Class because of what Daniel said. It's a bit cheap. Carbon fiber everywhere with red accents—that's just too much. Mm. You know the center console with all those old-style Mercedes buttons in there—that's just looks like something that comes out of 2005. The screen as well—I just don't really get it. To me, it feels like a, a posh training shoe.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, that's that's all interior stuff. But on the outside, you don't like the outside either. It's big, glitzy. Mm.
2: And glitzy is not my thing, you know? And, uh, like, there's just something about it that's not right. Something in the proportions to me. Um, I've always loved the long hood and short back sort of idea. And this car doesn't really have that. It looks tall.
0: Okay. Just curious. Just curious. But, All right. You know, okay. it's, it's not really tall. It's short. It, the roof height is lower than the, the immediate competitors. It's the most aerodynamic, I think, of the of the lot.
2: You know, the, the the whole shape of it. Like, for example, the distance between the top of the front tire and the top of the hood. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. That's something that you get in the new one series, which I definitely don't like either, and the and the minis and any small hot hatchback.
0: So obviously, you're you're more mature. You're a station wagon guy, <laughs> you know. You're a married man with five kids, you know, the maid and the driver. Okay, we understand that. We understand that. Me and Richard, we are young guys. We are young guys. We like Got something it. sporty. A bit of red here and there, you know.
2: But I I do agree with the fact that you know this. It's a
0: good car to drive. It's fun. So okay, so coming back to the car, so. I checked online, hundreds for sale and everything else. And I have one friend, I only have one friend, sadly, that owns an A250, you know, uh, mostly own C classes and E class because of the age. Anyway, so one has <laughs> an A250. So I asked him, I said, can, can you tell me what's the interior condition like after so many years? He said, Daniel, nothing is broken, nothing is cracked, nothing is damaged, you know, it actually lasts quite well, It even though it doesn't look as premium as its siblings, it actually does last as well as his sibling. So he says, I'm very happy the car. It's never given me any problems. Yes, you know, after warranty, I had to spend a bit of money on this and that and everything. Else, but, you know, it's a German car and everything else. So buying a used model is not going to be such a problem. But before we get to whatever, you, what you should look out for, I want to say this. Uh, when I continue talking to my friend who owns his, his A-Class, he says, one thing about this car is it has never failed him. It has never Given you know fancy uh, warning lights or or you know danger go and see us, get your car serviced or anything like that. As long as you service it, you take it back to the to the you know for your timely service and do whatever consumable changes you need to do. This car actually serves its owner very well, hmm. so that's a good thing. The second thing is, I remember test driving this car and saying to myself, yes. The center control, a lot of buttons, small screen and everything else. But I like that because why? I don't like the fancy iPad-looking screen. I mm. like the fact that I can use all the buttons because why? When I'm driving and concentrating on the road, I can feel the buttons with the edge of my fingers and I know which button I'm, I'm using. With a touchscreen, I can't do that. i got to look down. And I hate looking down because I want to look straight ahead at what's happening in front of me.
2: You're a man that looks into the future, Daniel.
0: Yes, yes. And the future <laughs> says it's going to have increased car sales. anyway the cabin you know how it wears and tears all very well um sunroof still keeps working after eight nine years no issue so my friend is very happy with it so now comes what to look out for now i got to say this it's better to buy a mercedes-benz malaysia used car that means a car that was brought in by mercedes-benz malaysia and sold rather than get one that was reconditioned and sold for the simple reason is this you don't have the service and recall history of this vehicle. Because over the first few years of this car, there were a few small recalls done, okay? Nothing major. Mm. But the usual, you know, airbag, uh, there was some recall done with the gearbox and all that. Now, this double clutch gearbox, if it fails, is a 20 over $1,000 repair job. <laughs> and let me tell you that, That price is not high because when you compare to what the other brands are charging for their double-clutch gearboxes, it's all about the same or more. Mm -hmm. So if the recall wasn't done on a grey or recon car, how do you think that car is going to last in your hands as a used car owner? That's number one Mm -hmm. issue. Think about it. Now, if the recon guy can prove to you that the recall was done in the country of origin, which is going to be difficult, but if he can prove to you, then fine, no issue. Okay? Next thing is, when you buy a Mercedes-Benz Malaysia car, the first five years or first four years, the owner would have gone back to Mercedes-Benz Malaysia. There will be some record of its history or whether it had an accident or whether it had you know major issue with the engine or anywhere else. So there's a little bit of a you know, a surety that you're getting a reasonably good condition car. And then the owner, maybe the next two or three years, went to an outside workshop asking for the bills. Like with any used car, ask for the bills. Now, if you go and get this from a used car dealer... Of course, you tell your boss, don't worry, king of car, one owner, doctor only, VVIP, former owner, ambassador, lady owner, hardly drive, no pets, no smoker. So all that you can put aside, okay? (laughs) You want to see the service record. So now that you've got that aside, what do you look out for? Now, if you're doing a physical inspection, now I want to say this because since I was doing research on this car, I've seen so many of these A classes with final wrap. Mm-hmm. now i've got two cars with vinyl wrap I'm, I'm not saying vinyl wrap is bad but when you get a sports car like this with vinyl wrap it could be a sign of a lot of dings and accident damage that is being covered up yep because <laughs> vinyl covers up all the things that you that you want to hide from the unspectating buyer. you know what i mean mm-hmm. but vinyl wrap is also something fancy people do to their sports cars which is what like i did so you need to take this to a mechanic or someone you can trust to remove some of the A-pillar and B-pillar panelling on the inside of the car to check and see whether the car has had a serious accident. Of course, you want to do it yourself. It's not so easy unless you know what you're doing. Then you want to go for a little bit of a test drive. Now, if the used car dealer tells you to put a deposit before you test drive, even if he asks you for a 500 ringgit deposit, tell him no thank you, walk away. Because why? His worry is you might abuse the car. Fine, let him test drive it. You sit next to him but do not put a deposit because to get that deposit back is a real pain in the butt. Because Mm -hmm. if you end up not buying the car, he'll tell you what, never mind, I choose something else in my my shop. I got so many cars. Even if you don't have a car in my shop that you like, never mind, my neighbor got a shop. You sure like his car one, you know. They don't want to let go of the deposit because times are bad. So with times going like this right now, do not give them a deposit or just walk away. So Mm -hmm. when you test drive it, when you come back or if the, guy test drive it and come back, check for little oil leaks, check for little sound that doesn't sound right, you know, I mean the the car is now switched off, you're standing next to the car you can hear little, you know, tension from the engine, yep, little ticks, little hisses, exactly, hisses water hisses, that's what you want to watch out for, whether the head gasket is gone some of the pipes have gone, some of the tubing, you know, things like that. Because this is a turbocharged car with a lot of power. People don't buy an A250 to potter around and go to the garden center. They do it for more than that, okay? Mm -hmm. So now that you've done all that, it's time to check the one and final thing. Flood damage. Now, why I say flood damage? Because lately, there have been some flood damage cars going into the used car market. They do a very good job of cleaning it up. And these cars basically, you know, when times are bad, times are bad. People will try anyway to make money. Yeah. So you have to check for flood damage because there has been some floods in the last few months before this heat wave. Yeah. And cars did get flood damage. This is a low car. This is a spotty car. People still went out in between lockdowns. There could have been some cars with flood damage. Check under the carpets, And if the, the seats have been reupholstered or the door panel has been reupholstered, that's a warning sign that the car has been flood damaged. Yep. because, I mean, why would you take a nine-year-old car which has got a very good hardy trim and reupholster it? There's no mm-hmm. reason to, you know? But if it have been flood damaged, there's waterlogged, you would definitely have to do it. So look out for those things. Now, pricing. Now, we went through the classifieds. We saw a few cars for sale. Some of the specs given seem reasonable. Like if you go to DSF, I put one spec there, a 2014 car with 71,000 kilometers. That's an average of about 10,000 kilometers a year. Original paint, original condition, of course you can check all that. It's listed out all the specs, it's fully fully loaded. It's a Mercedes-Benz Malaysia car, going for a hundred and twenty-seven thousand ringgit. Now, this is before negotiations. Yeah. So you're talking about a car that has depreciated a hundred thousand ringgit in seven years. Now I'm sure you can push this price down by another ten to fifteen thousand ringgit. And -hmm. this means you can get a seven to five year loan on the car. So not too bad actually, if you think about it. Seems like a very good package now that you put it that way. Right. And the final word I want to say this, which happens to a lot of people I know who are doing small businesses. In Malaysia, there is still, actually Asia, there's still this thing about if you're doing any kind of business, you must drive a premium car because your customer will say you're doing well. Now, in this lockdown, I want to just tell people this. Your customer ain't going to see you most of the time. You're doing everything through Zoom or Team Meets or whatever, you know? So even if you drive a Perdua Axia or you drive a, a Vespa, or you're, I mean, sorry, you ride a Vespa, or you're just using ride hailing, the car will not help your business. It's your business will help it. So don't go out there just to buy a premium car. Get yourself, you know, locked in with a with a six or seven or five-year loan, and then your business is not moving. Get your business going first before you get onto this. Because I'm seeing a lot of one-year-old cars coming up for sale, and this is just very scary. It is, it is. I know we're talking about used cars. I know we're talking about a premium car. But I'm saying when you're going to buy this, buy sensibly. Make sure you know for the next few years you can afford to have this car and make the payments.
1: Good advice. Shall we wrap up at that? Yes, we should. Ladies and gentlemen and everybody else in between, thank you very much for tuning into Cruise Control this week. Of course, a car show in three parts here on BFM. We've been speaking about the Proton X70 SE, some more lockdown woes, uh, looking at uh, Malaysian number plates and all their varieties. Uh, we then had a bit of an update on the Ford Skyline. Yes, Ford Skyline, uh, Mercedes-Benz's future, and of course, that car review you just heard, the 2015 Mercedes-Benz A250 Sport. If you missed any part of this show, download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from. We recommend the BFM app, available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury. On behalf of Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my, and Arif Ruse, that man with the news, this has been Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9.